I'm in a high school in New Jersey. I think I was junior. In New Jersey at the time, you could drive earlier. If you took driver's ed or some kind of thing, they you could drive. The tractors, you could drive at right, right. You could drive a, yeah, right. You could drive at eight. Yeah. So there were four guys. Myself, Ace, Ace Wins, W-E-N-Z, Wins, Red Bottolato, and a fourth guy who I cannot remember his name. And we go to Elizabeth, New Jersey. We're driving. It's Ace's car? Ace's car. Ace's driving. Where do they drive? It's like a Buick. It's, you know, the father's car. And we're driving down the street. All of a sudden, a guy runs out in front of us. <laughs> stop! Stop! Ace looks over. And then I look over. And I say, we're going down the wrong way on a one-way street. And Ace goes, what, are you kidding? And he just keeps going. <laughs> okay. That night. Knock on the door, two cops. Union policemen. That's the city I lived in. Your son was in a car driving illegally. So they got Ace because they got the guy took down his license. They got Ace and Ace gave us all up. It was like, you know, he wouldn't have done well in jail. So my father comes out and, and the cop's telling the story and he starts to laugh. He says, you got to be kidding. This isn't real. And the cops go, it's real. <laughs> but he never, you know, he never yelled at me or anything over that. He just thought it was ridiculously funny. And, and it was. <laughs> I want to record all of the conversations I had with my father. Every minute, every joke, every inscrutable linguistic nuance, even those that no one else would understand especially those that no one else would understand or have context for. To me, they're all precious, though I know not everything is or would be to you. But there's a part of me that wants you to hear it all, every sentence, every chuckle, every guffaw, because I can't help thinking that because it means so much to me, it would automatically resonate with you. This is the fourth installment of the American Cynic miniseries on What We Will Abide, a podcast I produce. My father now 78 years old and nine-tenths retired, actually enjoys his days spent alone with his friends and with his daily delivery of a paper copy of the New York Times. He refuses to read it on his iPad, a device which he uses solely to watch Scandinavian films about post-Second World War Europe, the viewing of which, he's learned, is aided by watching subtitles in English and not Spanish, but not all that much. He also spends his time with books he's borrowed from the public library with no intention of returning. With his newfound love for the Brooklyn Nets, because these days who can stomach the New York Knicks, and playing basketball on Jurassic Knees, whose cartilage must be made of fortified rubber. I've interviewed my father about his time in Vietnam, his political views, and his childhood, but I was after something a bit different in this conversation. Original music for this episode was composed and performed by Elliot White, who is just a really really good guy. My question for you this time, and wherever this goes from here, I'm good with, is actually I'm interested, more interested in reaction from you. <laughs> yeah. You awake? Yeah. Okay. So you know that over the last, like I would say the last six or seven months have been um, pretty difficult for me. And I've come to terms with the fact that I have been diagnosed with, I suffer from whatever the verb you want to use, um, generalized anxiety disorder and mild depression. And you just made a face. Um, well, it's a long thing. It's a long thing, right? Yeah. Okay. So uh, this has been a revelation for me because it explains a lot of the, the things that I've sort of experienced. I've kind of experienced in my life that I always thought I attributed to. Well, I'm just a, a fearful person, or I'm just an angry person, or I'm just a irrational person. And you know, I've had several incidents in my life in my career um, wherein. What I see now is my anxiety kind of was driving me. Um, and I think you've seen it too. And I just, I guess I just want to get your sense of like how you see that, if you see the same thing or how you see it. And if you are willing to look at it as sort of like something maybe that's hereditary and you might have seen it in yourself and it might explain some of the things that you've gone through in your life. Um, that's, I know that's kind of a heavy anvil to drop on your head on a Wednesday afternoon. Well, there's no question that in my younger self, when I was 
you know, 20s, 30s. The worst years for me were 20s, 30s, and 40s. Got better. I understood a little bit more about life and how people are and that kind of thing. But I, everything in certain years, it was uh, difficult. I always felt, uh, you know, that somehow I was misplaced. Um, I have felt exactly the same thing. That I somehow uh, didn't fit in. Uh, my ideas were always different than most people, that kind of thing. Luckily enough, I was able to find someone, my wife, who understood and was able to help in, a, in a certain ways. And so seeing you go through this, I understood, you know, the, the, the anxiety, the pressure, all of that stuff. And maybe most people have that. They handle it in different ways. But I, I'm more and more convinced that most people have this if they have any real sense of themselves. How did it manifest for you and how did you cope? And what were some examples, let's say, of things that you can look back on now from that darker period of your life? Um, wherein your anxiety or whatever you want to call it, um, how did it manifest itself and how did you cope? I knew that I would never be able to, or it would be difficult for me to work for anyone. Why? I, I guess it came from my father. I could never deal with anybody having power over me. And I knew that if I had a regular job, it would, uh, not, it would not be good. And early on when I had to work for other people... How'd that go? It didn't go well. Um... When I started out, after I got out of the army, I worked as in the city for a dentist, some guy who it was on Park Avenue, I think. And Fancy. I worked uh, maybe two days for the guy, and um, he, he kind of a strange guy in that he was sort of a, more of an entrepreneur than he was a dentist. So he had a lot of these things going on, and he was always uh, pressuring me to work faster. And finally, one day I said, give me the money that you owe me or I'm going to open your head up right here. And he thought I was kidding until he went up against the wall. And I and I said, write the check out now or you could die. And uh, he did. <laughs> and, I, I, you know, when I walked out of the office, I realized that's irrational behavior. <laughs> really? Right. Um, but only minor. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. But that kind of uh, throughout my earlier life uh, would, would when I when I thought people in power over me, I would sort of react poorly to that kind of thing. And would it surprise you to learn that it has been exactly the same for me? I would. It wouldn't surprise me as you are my child. You grew up sort of under my aegis in some bizarre way. And we have the same gene pool. So uh, my father, um, although I've learned to recognize he was a difficult man to deal with at times, but I always knew I could count on him if, if I needed help. I've never heard you say that. Yes. I, and I, I just in the last couple of years, I, I uh, kind of I understood the background he came from, um, how that, you know, kind of molds your life and whatever. But. I knew I could count on him. Count on him for support, money, what? You know, if I, not so much money, but because that was a difficult issue for him. But he would, if you needed, he would. I mean, he, that, you know, he could, but it was hard for him. Um, you know, depression mentality or coming out of a, a large family who lived on the Lower East Side and there was no real money there. And all of his siblings were screwed up in one way or another. And, he carried that through his life. Uh, uh, you couldn't mess with him. I mean, if he <laughs> if he took his glasses off, look out. Uh, so that was that was a given. That was uh, you know how 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 it ran. And my mother always moderated you know you know the the family life. What did you ask him for, or what did you rely on him for that he came through on that you're now recognizing? Uh, there was a period where. I, got into a little financial difficulty and I like not paying your taxes uh no it was not not it was because you've never not done that well no I, i've never done not done that and he boom 
you know, he came up it with wasn't money. it wasn't a tremendous amount of money, but it was enough to carry me uh, for a while. And he didn't give you a hard time about it. No, he never even brought it up. I've learned everybody carries their own in Yiddish. It's called Mishigas into everything, and you can't shake that. And you can try, you know, have all the therapy you want. The base person is there, and they're going to react a certain way to when things are good or bad. So this is how you see yourself, also. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I you know, my my, you know, reacting to certain situations was, you know, with violence early on, where you know I realized you can't, you know, you can't do that, and that's not that's not the way you can go about life. But I know that um, we call it in the family. Uh, it's the Ben. And my father's name was Benjamin. It's the Ben in me. Uh, so what, what does it look like? What does it feel like when the Ben comes out? What triggers the Ben? A lot of different things. But somehow the, the, the usual is that that's not right. Whatever they say or whatever they're trying to do, that's not right. And I couldn't really control it. How does it escalate to violence? I would just want it, and, and, and to be to totally honest, I would want to kill the person. Hmm. And sometimes I would go after him. And, uh, you know, I was never that big, but I, I knew certain things about myself, and I had some training early on in... Boxing training? Yeah. And uh, it had stood me in good stead. <laughs> you know, a lot of big guys, you know, you see a little guy, they they take it for granted. After that first punch lands, it changes everything. So, yes, and I, I, I could almost feel it um, sort of oozing out of me. And there was no way to stop me. I mean, I just, I, I would just, and if I got you, I would try to kill you. Uh, as I got older and, uh, and I was my wife and I had kids and you learn that you can't operate that way. I mean, you certainly can't. Through my life, if somebody bothered me, what I would just cut them out. That was it. I wouldn't speak to them again. And you know, it led to a, not a lot of friends. <laughs> but I do have people, uh, a fairly, you know, at the end of the line, a fairly large number of people who I can talk to. Not a lot, but that was that was how it was. Uh, so uh, you seem reluctant to, to talk about this, baby, because you're embarrassed. Um, these are, I'll just tell you that these are, for me. Instructive stories, famous stories, hmm. crazy stories, hmm. hilarious stories, scary stories. And I'm going to tell one right now. I don't remember the context for this exactly. I think I was in my mid-20s and we were like on the Cape or something or we were out on an island in Montauk and we went to play uh, at some in the days when you could still play on the asphalt when your knees weren't, the, <laughs> you know, yeah. buckets of pain they are right now right uh and you know so putting aside my playing basketball with you as being a heightened sense of tension and pressure and anxiety for me uh, putting that aside i love that that you were playing we were playing together go ahead i, I never i never knew that i always thought yeah. that you felt a sense of pressure too no and, no i love that you had me oh, play yeah that's great uh so i well the corollary is i play soccer with josie and i it's just pure joy <laughs> um but i was on the court and it was you know i'm always smaller than everybody else um, and like, I always felt like there was this sense that like, even if you weren't actively doing it, you were kind of sort of an angelic figure protecting me from any kind of danger. So we would play together and like, I knew, I knew you wanted me to be tough because you were tough and like, you didn't want to be me to be like stringy and wimpy and like a wet noodle. So, you know, if a guy was getting out of hand as they do, um, I felt and I remember this specifically in this case, I felt like I had an enhanced need to like prove myself. Hmm. So there was a guy who was getting out of hand. He was guarding me. He was pushing me, whatever. And um, I remember, I guess you were bringing the ball to the court and I set a pick and I moved and I stuck my knee into his like hip or something and he went ballistic. Um, and he turned. He was like, you can't. That's a moving pick. And, and you came out of nowhere. <laughs> like you were not on, in my radar. And then you were in front of him in between us with your finger in his face right under his chin. Yeah. You know, a, a, a steady string of profanity spittling forth from your mouth. <laughs> uh, there was, you were like, you know, like a moose ready to charge uh, and take this guy's head off. And I could tell from the tone of your voice, because I'd heard it before, and also your physical uh, representation that you meant it. <laughs> and I think he knew it too, because he backed off. My reaction to that was both a sense of pride and also a sense of kind of embarrassment. Because, you know, here I am, 25, 26, 27 years old, and my dad still has to stand up for me. 
But I also thought, hey, my dad's standing up for me. Um, and that's kind of cool. There have been instances in which I wasn't involved where you've taken people out, which I've seen. I remember one time, and, you know, forgive me. We'll cut this out if you want me to. But no. we were playing on a Sunday. You were playing a Sunday. You used to drag me down there where mom, I guess, would make you take me. And you'd be like reluctantly drag the kid along. <laughs> and uh, one time, I think I was like eight or nine, you got into it with someone who called you for walking or something. <laughs> and you got right up into his chin and popped him and he went down and there's blood everywhere. And I was like stunned. <laughs> and I remember people on the bench were like, get the kid out of here, you know, like shield him from this. But I was also at the, at the time I was kind of like, yes, I was horrified, but I was also like fascinated. <laughs> and I also felt kind of like enthralled by it. I was like, wow, my dad just took that guy's head off. And because you would talk about it, but here you actually did it. <laughs> and I knew a lot of people who would talk a big game, uh, but they never actually follow through. You, I've seen it, follow through. I'm going to take your head off, and then you did it. It all really stems from my father, who... Do you remember those incidents, by the way? Yeah. yeah. How do you feel about them now? I mean, it, it was childish. I mean, I was an adult. I should have been. But that mentality that you carry from childhood... I'm, I'm talking when you're 12, 13, when you're, you know, you can think uh, for yourself. It will happen. Um, and it, for me at the time, it was very hard to put that away. Um, and I, of course, as I got older, I realized, you know, there's always somebody who can take you. <laughs> Most of the time, I, I, I was successful in those things. And it, maybe 8, 10, 15 times. Because most people don't really, A, they don't want to fight and they don't know how. So, you know, it doesn't matter how big the guy is unless, and I always told you, don't let him grab you uh, because they're bigger and stronger. You, you know, the first shot that you land, the fight's over. And I learned that growing up uh, as a kid. And, uh, you know, and my brother was totally different, though. Uh, and he was bigger and a little and stronger, but he never, you know, that wasn't his, his thing. But anyway... Yeah, uh, and I remember, and and after I know what did I do? How you know that was stupid, but your emotions or the way you react to things that doesn't really change, as you you know in your life. Do you still have the impulse? Yeah. How do you handle it? I I I I realize even if I win, everything's gonna hurt. I'm going to be a mess for whatever it is. It just isn't worth it. And then I see it now. I, I break up fights now because I see how... You're, you're the great mediator I'm now? the mediator and I walk in between guys once I got hurt doing that. But uh, I realize how you know ridiculous it is. And and most most of these people are getting the, the, the anxiety or, or whatever it is they have inside them comes out because they can't do it under normal circumstances. You know, they have a boss, they have family, they have this and that. So it comes out on the court or whatever other sports they're playing. And and it, 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 the, the parents watching their own kids play and re- reacting crazily. It's an epidemic now. Right. Yes, the world has changed, but I don't think people really have changed their what they, what they feel about themselves and what they feel about the world. So if you've been the same person all along... How have you coped? Like, what have been the ways in which you have uh, mitigated the sense of misplacement? I always, and sometimes even now I look back, I, not looking back, but I, I, I'm as if I'm watching life go on, that I'm a, a viewer of it. I'm That's watching a, I'm watching a movie. And it's especially after my wife died, uh, that was a that was a horrendous period for a couple of years, because I I would like blame the world really, and uh, just you know I, I just couldn't deal with that. Why you know all these other pieces of shit are still excuse me no, it's fine. Uh, are are uh, you know going about their business they hit whatever and this happened you know and so uh, you know and I remember that three year period where she got sick and then all the other stuff that went after it, uh, you know, as as unfair, not so much to me, but to her. She dealt with it as as good as anyone could, but it was a a ridiculous period in that we thought, you know, things are going to be okay. Deep down, you knew it wasn't. So anyway, that kind of thing. And it's like my whole life has been, I guess it was 
against my father or against whatever it was, uh, trying to maintain sense sensibility, not losing my head. And as I got older, I, I was got better at it. Um, and but early on into my 30s. Were there consequences? Oh, yeah. Nothing terrible ever happened. Um, like nobody ever called the cops? No. I mean, I most of the time. Except that time you were in a car with Ace Wins. Ace Wins. <laughs> Ace Wins. <laughs> Ace. <laughs> I love that name. I don't even know if he had a first name. All right. We lived in an apartment uh, in, in Flushing, Queens by the sea. <laughs> and... My daughter was two years old. 1972? Yeah, because we moved. All right. And I think we were on the third floor, second floor of this apartment building. And these people didn't have any carpeting. And you could hear them walking around, dropping things. And it was ridiculous. They walked around in their apartment? That is egregious. <laughs> right. I mean, if you didn't have carpeting, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. shouldn't be walking around. So they were making noise and all the time. And Jessie was a baby and it would, she would wake up and whatever. So... Finally, I just, I lost it. I went, got baseball bat, which I always had. Went upstairs and gave a couple of shots on the door, dented the door, you know. And again, I said, you got to cut this shit out. I don't, you know, I don't care what you do. Put carpeting down. Don't put carpeting. Don't walk. Cut your legs off. I don't care. Cut this out. About an hour later, knock on the door. Two big, two cops. You know, New York City cops. And the guy says, look, and Jessie was standing there. She's two. And all she said was, she, the only thing she saw were their shoes. They had these black, big black shoes. <laughs> she said, shoes. And she kept saying <laughs> over and over. And these guys are saying, look, I understand. <laughs> New York City cops, they didn't want to, you know, this was bullshit case. <laughs> she said, don't do it again, please. I beg you. <laughs> That's what the guy said. <laughs> So I said, all right, all right. And then as they left, she said, one more. Shoes. <laughs> you know, that was that was the other incident with the police. Other than that, it had been clean. A couple of, you know, making a, a, an illegal U-turn. I mean, come on. You know, they get you. I, and, and I'd say things like, you know, there are real criminals out there. Not good. Don't do that, by the way. Don't do that. It's not good. <laughs> They, they love, light you up for like everything. They love hearing that. <laughs> right. Or or my favorite, as you're driving away, excellent police work. Don't do that one. That'll get you eight to ten at Attica. <laughs> What'd you do? Well, you made an illegal U-turn and uh, all right, eight to ten years. The way it is. It's like, uh, you know. But that's that's like you, it fits in because it's the same deal. Right, it's like, right, right. I'm not going to take something that I don't find to be rightful from you. Like, well, it's it's part of it's part of that. It's, this is just like if it's like an innate sense of justice, even if it's like the compass is way off. The, the, I would say yeah. the sense is what you're doing to me is wrong, and you need to know about it. Either I'm going to tell you, or I'm going to physically assault you, so that you know that, that what you're doing the, to and me that's, is wrong. That, that, right. And and now you know I realize not the smartest move, but they, but I thought the excellent police work was funny. The guy didn't. <laughs> I don't know why, but he he did. You try to put things in a bag when when you're like losing your mind when you 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 know you're not controlling you're out of control. But at that over the last uh, twenty years, twenty five years, uh, uh, much better at that. And I realize it's wasted energy because you can't really you're not going to a change people. You're not going to change yourself. You can deal with things a little better, but that person that's there. From seven years old, is still there. But uh, well, when you yeah. look back and you look at a seven-year-old, seven-year-old Albert Schindler. Well, uh, this is an interesting point. I don't remember very much about being under fifth, other under twelve or thirteen. I don't. I don't remember very much about it. And I, and I've tried to, you know, what, what was it like being a, you know, growing up where I did and and living that way and going through school I don't really I guess if I really concentrated I could pull that stuff back but uh, is it that you don't want to? I, I think I had an okay childhood I mean <laughs> it was maybe not the norm but I, I don't remember being a, 
you know, I had friends. I was relatively reasonably happy, I think. Maybe not, looking back. But, um, you know, you went, you did the things your kid do. You go to school, you go, you play ball. That was my life. I didn't, that was nothing else, you know, that, uh, uh, that I remember doing. And, you know, your mother and father, were, it was stable, but as much as stable as my father was. Um, and that's, you know, you were protected. Uh, you know, that really carried me. Uh, but I don't remember under 10 at all. I'll parallel that by just offering you what I remember from being under 10, from being seven. And you can give me your perspective on it because you were there, mm. which is unique and um, uh, helpful in this, in this context, I think. So looking back <clears throat> at age seven, you'll remember, of course, I think it was seven or eight when you first, I guess, took me to a therapist. Yeah, Total right. shyster. <laughs> Boston Post Road, that guy was a... <laughs> He, he would put I, he put stuff on the floor yeah, like was toys. Like, and, yeah, and I'm like, well, why are you paying for this? this is nonsense. Uh, anyway, why, why do we? Why did I don't even you know, know what his name what? was? What? Seinfeld. Is that right? That was his name. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, the guy. Why we, did? Why would we felt the necessity to take you? Why? Somebody said this is what you should do because I couldn't sleep. Oh, I was afraid. To, right. I was afraid that's to right. sleep. That's right. And that was the initial impetus for it. It's really interesting. I. But there are other fears, my fears. Remember the fears? Yeah, yeah. You just told me yesterday that like I had to you had to sweep the bed for monsters. <laughs> yeah. Right? And That's true. I'd say what would I say? But they were there. No, the monsters were really they there. They were there? <laughs> you yeah. lied. And I did. They were really there. But what happened? Now, how old was I? And what, what you happened? You must have been six, seven. Right. So what would I what uh, would I say? It, it, bedtime. It was check, bedtime. Check the bed. Check to make sure that there's no monsters here. Under the bed. And I would Look under the bed, but they were there. No, they weren't there. <laughs> uh, you know, the monster. The and uh, so that, that you know. how did that make you feel? That do you remember at all? How it made you feel that I would ask you to sweep the bed for monsters? Yeah, I liked that. You I liked thought it? it was good. You thought it was good. It was, you know, I was, you you had trusted me to right. sweep the the monsters out. Right, and you know that was that was it. And of course, the famous line: "We may look alike." But we don't think a lot. That was much earlier. That was like four yeah, years old. Yeah. Okay, so at age seven, uh, what I recall is um, the fears, the monster fears, the, the the going to sleep fears. Like I have always had different. I mean, a lot of kids maybe have that. I, I uh, well, my yeah. my kids do. Yeah. Um, I can give you the, and I can see it now from this lens, which is very interesting. Like you, you know, gotta ask Jesse about. Oh, you know that Lewis didn't sleep. I know. But he was a little pain in the ass. <laughs> he just did it on purpose. Right, just to upset people. <laughs> we'll be, you know, Jamie and I will be like watching a show. It'll be like 9.30. The kids will have gone to bed supposedly at like 8 o'clock at night. And then suddenly there's somebody in the doorway. There's like a shadow in the doorway and a person creeping in. <laughs> I need a hug. Uh, or I can't yeah. sleep. I don't know what to do. There's like this exasperation, which is extremely familiar, mm. which is like, I can't sleep. I'm furious about it because I can't. And that, that actually rings true for me. Like, I really remember that feeling angry about not being able to fall asleep. You so, know, that, 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 that sleep thing is really pervasive. Yes. I, I didn't uh, realize how many people had difficulty with it. They were afraid to go to sleep almost. I mean, when I was working, uh, I got to get up. Uh, I'm going to fall asleep in the middle of the day, blah, blah. But now, <laughs> so what? I'll sleep till 10, 11. It's uh, <laughs> Which is probably not good. You know, you're supposed to go out or go to Florida supposed and play to, golf. No, why? For what? I don't what? know. But that, those are the rules, the Jewish rules of life. You don't have to abide by those rules. I know, I, and I, and I frankly, have, and here I am freezing my ass off. Right. And also, there are other rules that you don't abide by, which harkens back to... We'll talk yeah. about that in a second, because I just yeah. want to finish this, because we'll, yeah. I want to get your thoughts on a few things that are endemic to your personality. So I, like, I had the fears. That's what we called them. I remember mom, the fears, you know, the night fears, and then the fears of, remember the big one? Wow. I The fear, the abandonment fear. Really? You remember this? I do a little bit. So, now. I mean, I don't know if this is legal, and I don't know if, like, the ASPCA is going to come <laughs> after you all these years later. I think this is, like, a statute of limitations. But, like, we would go to, a, like, a shopping center. You go in to get, like, you know, the post office or bagels or something, and they'd be like, stay in the car. And I'd be like... Oh, it's illegal. I guess so. No. And, I, and I'd be like... He's but not... only only if I roll the windows up in a 100-degree heat. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You're all red. <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> I but I was convinced every single time that that was it. That was really? the last time I, I was going to no, see you. I had no. Really, we talked about this. Yeah, I know, but I I don't. Remember. You blocked it out. Yeah, I remember. That I was convinced that that this was it. You know, you were going into the store and never, never coming, coming out. 
<laughs> I, so these that's how my anxiety began to manifest itself early. He used to make fun of me when I was really little because we would drive <laughs> and like we hit like a patch of ice and there'd be some wind. And what would I do? Like, yeah, right. Yeah. I used to make fun of me for that because you're yeah. like, you're afraid of everything. And that was the joke about me is that I was afraid of everything. So I, I, it's, it's funny. I don't remember. Huh, I don't remember that. You know, I'm thinking of you as being afraid of everything. I, I don't, I've I always thought of myself as afraid of everything. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't remember that. But I now see it in terms of, oh, this is this is how anxiety manifests itself, and it was manifesting itself that way when I was little. I know now that you were doing the best that you possibly could. Yes, there is no course to be how to be a parent. I I know that now, right? Because you just do what you do, whatever it is, and they trying to. There is a certain path that you're supposed to take. You know, bullshit! Every kid. How, how come every kid and his grandmother has got uh, problems? Is, uh, can't sit. Can't you know the, the class is disrupted because the kids are you know throwing things at each other and they can't sit still. You know, it's, there must be some reason for this. It's, it's in the water. But like, but you're right. It is pervasive, and and I do know now that like, you were definitely doing the the best you could because you would not deliberately have like been neglectful. You would not deliberately well, have like made a choice to harm me. So when in situations, oh no, <laughs> in certain situations, yes, because you absolutely deserved it, but mostly not. And so I would say like. If I was having an issue like that, where I was anxious about something or worried about something or I had a problem or I told you I was feeling bad, your response would often be, you don't feel, you don't really feel that way because it's scared. Here's my guess. It scared you right. that I would feel bad and that you couldn't fix it. I think that probably it. Uh, I remember, I remember, you know, those instances. Uh, it happened a lot. I mean, and you would say things like, you know, don't put it out of your head yeah. or you have nothing to be depressed about. Or like your life is perfect, and it was just, it wasn't like you were trying to be dismissive or even shut me down. That, that you were hoping that that would be the, that that would help. You were hoping that like if you said those things, I would believe them because I think in some sense you also felt that way, mm. and you didn't know how to deal with it. And so if I echoed them, it was somehow your fault. I, w- I wonder if how Jesse would to these to this what she would think. Well, we're going to force her to listen to it, and then she'll tell us. Yeah. After we call her 17 times and she doesn't answer for six months. I love that. <laughs> you know, you can put anything down and then two weeks later you might get a response. No. No. Uh, so, okay. Um, that's my seven-year, like me looking back at, at seven years old. And I've um, obviously um, come through that. Uh, it took 36 more years to figure out what it was <laughs> that was at the core of it. But I think I'm finally moving through it. And that's why I can have this conversation with you without any fear at all. Um, I'd like to go back to a couple of things and you can choose which one we want to tackle. This whole concept of um, defying authority, I think, is part and parcel of your personality. Right. You said it earlier. I didn't feel comfortable with anybody having power over me. And the way I see that manifest, yes, is in this idea that you can never work for anybody and that you wound up working for yourself. Um, even though there's no such thing as working for yourself because there's still right, right. overhead you had, and you had the p- insurance the and right. people's yeah. shit. Right. Um, but, you know, the famous story, of course, like you come back from Vietnam and like you drive down a one-way street the wrong way on purpose <laughs> in memory of Ace Wens. <laughs> then Ace Wens flashback. But also things like I joked with you about this yesterday. In the garage you have currently... Um, old license plates that you are <laughs> required by law to return. If you to return the, one, I think it's to the DMV. I kept the other. Now I know for a fact this is illegal because they, they had you. you. They got you. Yeah, I had a. I don't know what I. I'll had. tell you the story. This is a famous story <laughs> that people will get a kick out of. I hope. Um, which is uh, the year is two thousand five. You have just had a massive coronary infarction, aka heart attack. And what did you say about it? My my heart attacked me. Oh, it did. <laughs> I never forgave it. <laughs> good. That's that's good. Yeah. Uh, you had a m- massive heart attack, and um, you had, I guess, just gotten back from surgery. Yeah. Quintuple bypass. I didn't realize they could do that many. I didn't realize you had that many valves or whatever. Um, quintuple bypass, which saved your life. And uh, Jamie and I, my wife and I, at the time, were living in Manhattan on 122nd Street, and we had your car, which was a Honda Del Sol. Is that right? Back then, I don't, the one that got the, the guy picked up by the this this car went through. Scott this is the Rasputin Ford? of cars. Yeah, it got smashed by the tractor trailer. 
that got stolen the, out of the driveway. The dense, the so this was it. So I think this was the same car. Maybe it was. I don't know. But anyway, we parked it on 122nd Street. Oh, and they got... Oh, God. And like you had just been picked up to you took you back to, to home from the hospital. It was your first day back from the hospital. And we come out to drive up there and the car's gone. <laughs> and like I remember getting down on my hands and knees as if that, that, where where did it go? Does that. Where, they look wait where, a minute, they go down the next street. Where did it go? And, it's gone. And, and we're like, Oh my God, my you know, my dad just had a heart attack and I just got his car stolen. <laughs> wow, what a great thing for a son to do. I call you up. You know, you can barely breathe, like, because, yeah, you know, yeah. because your chest and mom answers the phone. And I'm like, hi, that's uh, <laughs> some news uh, about the car. Uh, and you were really eerily unmoved by it because it felt like you sort of knew. And then we call the cops. They show up, these two beefcake guys in, the, in our yeah, foyer. Right. And they're like, we know what happened to the car. I'm like, wow, you guys work fast, you know. <laughs> Upper Manhattan PD, you guys are on top yeah. of it. Like, we, we think the marshals got it. <laughs> and we, Jamie and I are like, who the fuck are the marshals? Yeah. We thought there was some like Upper West Side crime family. <laughs> Unit. Turns out what the marshals do is they skulk around. And they have these. And they have the, yeah. Yeah, these devices that if the car has. Points. Parking tickets. Parking tickets. That was parking tickets. Scofflaw. Yeah. You I were, was a scofflaw. You were. So, I, I didn't even think about it. It was like. But. I was defying whatever yes, stupidity. Stupidity. They got the car. They got. They nailed the car. And so this is like a a, a, a real scam, and they make jillions of dollars. Know, as people because you went. It was somewhere. You did a Gravesend, or I don't know. Yeah, well, we had to Brooklyn? take ten buses and oh, yeah, like God. fourteen trains, and and we had to hire. A, you know, what was a comedy part of that. What you ran into the two women, a, a mother and daughter. Yes. Who drove out there? I'll, I'll tell you exactly. And they charge you for gas. Yes. Yes. I mean, yes. come on. <laughs> That's we the... go out to Gravesend. And they had to go anyway. <laughs> so what? What? There's this little like brick building, oh, and God. the people in there are laughing because <laughs> this is what they do. They, you have to bring seven hundred dollars in cash, in cash. Right then, they didn't take the credit card. Yeah. And they or just you just hand it over, and there's a person in the window. They thank you, and then you give you the car. And that's it. And they're like, now you have to go up all the way across Brooklyn to the other side. And, and get your car. And get your car. And they don't take you there. And so oh, that's where you met the women. And, and the women are drove. like, oh, yeah, we'll take you over. And then we got out of the car. And they're like, uh, could you give us some gas money? <laughs> Jamie's like, you fucking kidding me? <laughs> that was a... The, the, oh, God. Anyway, so this all stems from the fact that you refused to return the license plates. For no good reason. I, I'm not returning them. That's it. I'm standing on, on principle. Also, I'm going to out you right now. And the whole world's going to know this. Right. Upstairs in your bedroom, you have at least... 30 or 40. Wait a minute. This is untrue. Don't believe any of this. <laughs> Library books. <laughs> I might have a few. <laughs> Stalin. You have a Stalin biography. Classy. You have the blood, uh, the, yeah, Gary, the, the Gary Bass, the blood telegram about yeah. Bangladesh and Nixon and Kissinger. You steal books from the, the I eventually li- return them. The library is on Maybe your side. Why don't you know, understand? The it's the only governmental institution that gives you things for free and you are screwing them. Yeah, but there are I, people out there who want to do research on Stalin <laughs> and you have that book. It's an 800, it's only 800 pages. <laughs> right. It's, it's a short read. <laughs> Why not? I don't understand. The library's on your side. I read it twice. <laughs> You've read it doesn't get any better the second time. I want to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> he was still a oh still God, a bad what a bad guy. So anyway, why do you do it? I don't know. I don't know. It's compulsive. It's it's, it's a compulsion. It's like yeah, it's like. What do you, you ever see that? Well, there's a movie called Compulsion, which is about Bobby Franks. Yeah. That wasn't even the, the, they they wound up kidnapping and killing this kid. They were like geniuses. They went to MIT or whatever. These who were the who? Leopold and Loeb. Yeah. And they could never explain it. They made a play about it. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah, and that and a movie. Did you see the play? I saw the play. Yeah, it was. It, it was in Chicago. Yes. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I can. I, I'll use that. You can relate. Yeah. So you well, just. They were, I wouldn't kill anybody. But, well. <laughs> well, just now. earlier in this episode, <laughs> yeah. you did. I tried to kill people, but I, you know, I got over that. <laughs> <laughs> and then started stealing library books. I, well, I, 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 I guess wouldn't say stealing. I, guess I would put it in appropriating. With appropriating. Yeah. I with the intention of returning them, but you don't return them, and the, you know maybe what? maybe a few years down the road. The most egregious part is that they all have the sticker that says fourteen days." I know that's sad, but I was I got out of, uh, out from under because Jesse. If there are any library workers out there, ninety-seven <laughs> Evan Mountain, you yeah. you will find a scofflaw. Every book you need. Every book you need. A scofflaw of the lowest order. But I do read them. It's not as if I just don't read them. 
I just I think that that'll make that the helps. library people feel better. I think so. I think it has. I think I, I do. I just returned uh, Nausgaard. How long did you have that one for? You no, know, I kept re re you know re upping it and realizing that it, it was it was so hard to read. No matter how many times you you yeah, took you it, I started it, again. Still gonna... and, uh, I say if he smokes another cigarette and drinks another beer. But you love Nasgard. I do love Nasgard because Nasgard under he understands really, as does Richard Ford, mm. understands how life is idiotic. <laughs> People are you know they're they're just they're hanging by a thread. Are you hanging by a thread? No, I I I don't think so. I'm. Um, not the one part of my personality that's not good is I dismiss people as you know not worthy of dealing with, and that's probably everybody has something, but that that's always been my, you know. I believe the term I wouldn't piss on them if they were on fire, <laughs> <laughs> which I've used. <laughs> but I've become much much more open and nicer. <laughs> Than well, I, than I was oh, early, so I've, early on. I, I, I'm laughing, but I, I mean, the truth is, I know that, and I see from the these old kayakers that you bang around with, like Arnie and Joe, and, <laughs> and those guys who are 15 years your junior, and look at you as some kind of uh, guru or I don't know what. But they love you to death, mm-hmm. and and you're very good to them, and and they, they that's a real like, and that's I think maybe. These relationships have sustained you, I think, over the past seven grueling years. Yeah, yes, absolutely. I mean, because other people or uh, or adults, you know, people who are your age or whatever, they're already set. I'm an adult? No, I wouldn't say you're a a full adult. You don't want to be a full adult because then you're locked into a thought process and that's it. So those are the other adults that you know who are locked into a thought process. They're locked in and they're they're never going to change. Whether it's politics, whether it's what they what they think they like, it's over. There's no change. But you see yourself as having an open mind. I do have an open mind. Uh, uh, you know, uh, it's a little closed-minded in that I won't, like, guys are afraid to tell me what movies they've seen. Why is that? Because I'll say, come on, how could you go to see that? That's, like, garbage. And then people will say stuff like, I just want to be entertained. I, I understand that theory, but it's bullshit. What is your favorite movie of all time? On the Waterfront. That was... That was uh, because... And- it was Brando at at the top at his peak. It had uh, the storyline was was New York, uh, and everybody in it: Rod Steiger, uh, Carl Moore. There were the people that were like you know were iconic figures of the period, and Lee J. Cobb, who was Johnny Friendly in the movie, who was a great actor. But he, and I love the name Johnny Friendly. <laughs> <laughs> he the, wasn't friendly. Uh, he was like a mob boss. But the story speaks to you because the underdog trying to, you know, get past in his life where he has a, a you know a difficult period, difficult point, and and he can't he can't get past it. And then he goes and he goes to uh, on a trial and he tells the truth where he knew that wasn't going to go well with uh, the Johnny Friendlies of the world. So he has a redemption. He does have a redemption, and uh, it was Marlon Brando when he was Marlon Brando. I mean, before he became a house with legs, you know, it, it, he, he, you know, he guy was like a rock, and then all of a sudden he started to eat furniture. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't, you couldn't let him in your house. He'd eat your chairs, tables. So, and the same, you know, not that I ever thought Orson Welles was. Because I never really thought Citizen Kane was a great movie. <gasps> Maybe I have to see it again. Nah, it wasn't. I, you know, it. it I don't know. It's sled and it's. Uh, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rosebud. Yeah, I get this. Was Orson Welles. It was the War of the Worlds thing, and you know, people. I, I remember seeing it and going, "What the?" Yeah. It was in black and white too. So. Yeah, but it's on the waterfront was in black and yes, white. Yes, it was. Yeah. That's what you had back in those. Wasn't well, the whole world in black and white? Uh, yes. You, you I still look at the world in black and white. And then, of course, it went to color and they wouldn't make a black and white figure because no one would see it. Movie. Because <clears throat> people can't, they have to have color. So you, white. okay, so um, that's your favorite drama, but I know what your favorite comedy is because we were just talking about it earlier. The, the Frisco Kid or? The uh, magnum opus of Alan oh. Katz. Oh, 
called? Big man on campus. <laughs> Originally called. Um, what, what, what the was hunchback Ken- of? Oh God. Of UCLA. Oh God, that was. The premise of this film is. Guy. Nineteen eighty nine is when the movie was made. Alan Katz made the movie. <coughs> wrote the thing. He played the main role. It, right. Of. And he was of uh, Bob. <laughs> This ridiculous character who's living in a belfry in a UCLA and he's sort of like half man, half ape. And, and it makes he, no sense. Uh, it, no, it, it had no, no sense at all. But there were some, some great uh, lines. Right. Hilarious. What, what's the best one? The best line. They ch- ask him to choose a name. So he says... William F. Buckley. And the guy says to him, it's already taken. And he says, okay, William G. Buckley. (laughs) (laughs) This is a classic. It's a killer. Do you remember having a name? No. Uh, Well, think back to when you were a small boy and people would first see you. What would they say? Yuck. Uh, Sometimes, fech. I think the first thing we can do is get a name for you, and I think you should pick it. A name that you think suits you william f buckley i believe there is a william f buckley right william g buckley i think you should have your own name a name that is not like a famous person's bob 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 maluga luga 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 anyone famous named bob maluga luga 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 i doubt it it's like you imagine him sitting in his like you know basement apartment writing this, writing this line, thinking uh, somebody's going to make this film. Well, the, the classic, <clears throat> you know, bits in, in movies. Even a bad movie can have. Uh, this all stems from the fact that guys won't tell you what movies they've seen because you're afraid you're going to ridicule them. Right, right. Interestingly, my father also was sort of a movie buff. The only time we went to the movies together once, once to see a movie, I it must have been ten, maybe less. And it was a British movie called The Dam Busters. It was about the Second World War. The British planes were getting shot down over. And I thought it was great. And I've seen it like 15 times <laughs> as a result. That was that was the only, although, well, not alone. But we did go to, as a family, where they had movies and a show. He'd had a job on a Sunday. And we'd go with him. He'd do the job. Then we'd go to dinner in Chinatown. Lum Fung, I still remember that. What year is that? I think 48, 49. I was his staff, my brother and I. When he needed one, had a big job, he need help. What were these jobs? He installed soda fountains, uh, Woolworths, Whalen's, uh, candy stores. Uh, that it's run by a compressor, carbonated water. So he, that's what he did. I don't know how he learned it or whatever, but that's what he did. And he had a little store on the Lower East Side where he had all this equipment. Some of the jobs for for Woolworths were big. You had to put in a whole bunch of stuff, and he needed help. So I was like 10, 8. And I loved to go because when we went, when it was just he and I, <laughs> we would go to Katz's Delicatessen. That was, uh, that was a big deal. And I remember you had to put, like, it was a nickel in your car, you know, the, the head of meters. And I could see he wouldn't put the extra dime in. And I, even as a kid, I was eight. I said, Dad, if they get a, if you get a ticket, it's like 20 years of dimes, you know. <laughs> I said, all right. <laughs> I remember that uh, the, uh, just so clearly going, going into the Katz's and they had a big fat guy who they gave you a ticket. And if you had a corned beef sandwich, they punched it was number 10. And if you had uh, French fries, they punched it or celery tonic, which is. So I would always go and get the same thing every time. <laughs> I'd get a corned beef on club, I'd get a knish, celery tonic, and a hot dog. And to this day, whenever I go to Delicatessen, that's what I order. We would go on Sunday nights to Lipson's right. in New Rochelle, and that's what you'd get. You'd that's start right. off with a hot dog. Right, right. That's right. And I would say, what are you doing? This is a tradition. That's what I do. <laughs> that's, that, now I know where it comes from. Yeah. And and the, the, when, when you got the money, it was always greasy. Because <laughs> yeah. it was bizarre. And when we went to, after the, somebody's wedding... We went to Katz's. It wasn't Katz's anymore. No, it's, these uh, things yeah. changed. Yeah, yeah. Whose wedding was that? 
In the city? Yeah, it was a, it, it was right down the street. It was a converted church into Was it was it uh Dolinsky? Dolinsky. It was the one of the Dolinsky girl. It was the younger Dolinsky girl. Okay. She married the Frank Frank from France. From France. <laughs> Frank from Frank from France. <laughs> yeah, no, I remember that. He's the master of the black hole. And he is the guy in the world about the black hole. Well, you could you could look him up. You could look him up. His name is Frank from France. <laughs> it's not really his name. <laughs> look up. So you, you've you muddled through. I would say mostly muddled. I mean, I, I could have probably, if I was more fixated on getting, making more money, probably could have made more money. Is that is that success to you, making money? Well, early on it was. Now I realize, you know, how much money, you know, if you have enough money, there's some, here's my thing. If you have a car and a place to live, you're good. And most people don't think that way, <laughs> you know, not, but, in this, not in this country, but I, 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 you know, that's, that's, you know, you live reasonably well. I can, you know, I can do most things. That's, I think that's why, like I got the car again, you know, within a two year period. Because if you have a car, you're okay. If you have a, a reasonably new car, then you can you can go anywhere. You can do anything. Or you have, you know, some place to live and you have food. That's it. Well, I think it fits and right... And Medicare. <laughs> I think it fits right in with this idea that, like, if you have those things... You're that, okay. And that no one can take it away from you. That's right. And that no one has power over you. I think that's one of the reasons I'm still in the house. You don't want to give up your, your yeah. autonomy. Yeah. I mean, uh, another couple of years, those steps are going to be. <laughs> we'll get you a ramp. We'll get yeah, you, we'll you know, one of those things that we'll go up and down the steps. But they don't want to. Or I'll move in and just carry you up and down. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, then we, but, but we have to later, we have to move the televisions again. Again, we did such a good job of moving the televisions. <laughs> we did. We have. That we, we ought to move them again. We do. So, okay, take it from someone who does not make any money and who never will. I can, well, you'll, all you need is a living wage. Right. So we've done it. We And like I have no interest Look in... Look how much money you have been able to save. Don't tell people that. You're going to come to me You have loans. $100. You're able to save 100, put $100 away by being frugal. <clears throat> if you weren't, you would have 20 Is that how you see me, frugal? I think I think sensible is more the word uh, about these things. Do you really need this? I don't need that. Do you... That's how I, I do live that way. Uh, luckily, your wife lives feels this basically the same she way. She does. She does. I mean, these things are not necessary, and they're not. But mm -hmm. a lot of people, I, I got to take a vacation. I got to go. I got to go to the, uh, you know, uh, California. I got to go here. I got to go there. And, you know, it's all bullshit anyway. In the end, <laughs> it's unfortunately the way it goes. But uh, most so of everything. <clears throat> so you okay? So despite the fact that you seem to you have recognized it over the years, whether we call it like a you know like a like a, a disagreement with a general sense of authority or this feeling you don't have. Well, it all, this all comes from my father. The money thing. Uh, it's all related, right? It's... But you've managed, and this is why I admire you, because you have managed to somehow survive, survive, and like. <laughs> No, seriously. And like, you know, you've lived a pretty good life. Some bad shit has befallen you. Like, you know, the heart attack wasn't great. Yeah. Um, other things that we know about weren't great. But you have not. There are other people who have fared worse as a result of those kinds of things. Uh, absolutely. People who's, for example, whose wives have died or whose spouses have died who just like check out. Yeah. and But a lot of them, or, or, like, uh, then they remarry. And I, I can't understand that. I just don't get that. Uh, or if you well, want to be alone, you know, I, I understand that, but that, then it's, the, I guess it's negating the, the person who died somehow. That's and how I, you think of it. Yeah. I, I just can't. Anyway, you, you come through these things. Right. Um, and you come through, uh, feeling at odds with your context, with your surroundings. Like you still are battling throw, you know, you're still fighting those battles with the emails that people send you about politics that you write back for no known reason right and you get into arguments with people about politics because you're still battling that same battle of i'm right you're wrong however that's true right however you and i've done the but same thing i am right uh, <laughs> that's the main difference <laughs> see people don't understand that <laughs> 
You can't. But what if you say you're wrong? I'm right. That's just the way it is. And earlier on, I, I get them. But now I have to, you know, I have to read a lot of stuff uh, so I can have like you know, <clears throat> make sense out of stuff. Evidence, but, support, but facts. Want, but, but, to but, back your but people don't care about that. No, and no it's no just gone. You know. So you. So what I'm trying to get at here. Let me keep <laughs> interjecting. <laughs> interjecting is that. Despite your, it's 549, despite your, whatever we want to call this, these sort of like albatrosses around your neck, if, if, like <laughs> there's me, one to my right. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Thanks. Yeah, that's, that's great. Uh, you have muddled through and here you are at age 78. Holy shit. I know. Oh, uh, I can't so, believe it. I know. I know. I count the rings. How did anybody counting live, the rings on? How would anyone live that long? It's a long time. So you, uh, you know, older than dirt, as we like to say, and you're okay, better than okay, um, and you are, you know, nine tenths retired, <clears throat> and you still have your marbles. As far as I mean, maybe this no, podcast I, will I, 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 have evidence to the contrary, but uh, <laughs> I, I think you do. I have. Let me say more about me have, than it does yeah, about you. I think I have my marbles. You have my marbles, which I'm tremendous, tremendously grateful grateful for. You have come through some. Medical procedures, um, some major, some minor, and you're still throwing punches and still taking jump shots. That's right. So something you did something right, or you have you have you have, there's a germ in you, like a cell in you. There's something in you that just knows how to persevere. That's that's probably what it is. I mean, in the end, I, I and I don't you know. Sometimes I say, you know, do I really have to continue with this? Go on with this? Uh, you know, is this is this it? it? And then you know, I get past that, but that happens uh, periodically. Well, you, um, I think you subscribe to the to quote Jimmy Breslin, right? You subscribe to the Jimmy Breslin school of thought, which is a life. No, no one was ever put on this earth to be happy. Which so, what are you on the earth to do? I think you're, you know. Hopefully not hurt anyone. Maybe in some way or other, do some good. Help people if you can. And don't do anything that's rotten, that's bad. And if you can do that, I think, uh, you know, you're successful. That's not the way most people think. They think if I have... You remember that thing maybe 15 years ago? Uh, the guy who winds up with the most toys at the end wins. You remember that? That always infuriated me. You know, come on. But that's that's taken even more hold uh, now. And look, you, you you do the best you can, I think. Uh, but you know, when you try to see as many Swedish and Norwegian movies as you can, the <laughs> Finnish movies are tough because. <laughs> You can't translate them. They, they have nobody who understands. Nobody knows. Nobody knows Finnish. The Finns. The Finns I didn't realize that until I watched this Finnish movie that I learned that there were Nazis during the war. But how close they are to Russia. They're, you knew that. that yeah, I mean, uh, they're, 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 you know, it's back and forth. Uh, and how many Finns can it be? 200, 300. <laughs> can't be that many. And yet they're like a country, you know, Finland, I think it's called. <laughs> so you, I, I, these are the things that, that I, I have to follow. It's a conundrum. It's a conundrum. <laughs> I have to follow up on one thing because yes. this is Finland. No, no. This harkens okay. back to podcast number one, um, where you made the famous statement that <clears throat> if you put an M40 on top of a Subaru, no one would notice because it's a Subaru. <laughs> so I noticed in your search history as I was helping you fix up your phone that you actually were searching for an M40. Yeah. Are you, because you mentioned in the last podcast a couple years ago that you were in the market for an M40. Right. Are you actually going to purchase one? Uh, I would, except that various groups listen in on these things, so I have to be careful. Uh, but if if you know I'd lost it completely and was out of my mind, then I would. You can get one, by the way. I mean, how ridiculous that is! You can get a military grade, big time weapon on the internet. I mean, how crazy is that? I mean, forget about gun control and people, you know, with uh, criminal records being able to get machine guns. 
You can order on the internet an M40. Seems like you've done some research into this. I did. I looked it up actually. How much is it? It's not that much money. I mean, it's 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 a couple of hundred bucks. It's not that much money. Really? Yeah. Yeah. What so, kind of what kind of ammunition do you need? That's the problem. Getting the ammunition. <laughs> not so easy. You know, those shells are costly. <clears throat> How many would you need, though? <laughs> One or two, boom. 